Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Rem Wednesday, my co-host is Adam Wybray, and today we're going to be talking about the 1988 film Beetlejuice, directed by Tim Burton. A full transcript of this episode will be available, so check the show notes for that. Enjoy! Good evening. Hoi hoi. So this topic was a sort of a, a last minute choice <laughs> um, because my William Sleater books have taken a long time to get to me. So um, I'm sure it will arrive before our next one, but uh, not in time for this one. So yeah, um, Beetlejuice might not be an obvious choice for children's horror? I was thinking about this, but then it's not really an obvious choice for adult horror either. No, it's a, it's a sort of middle. Um, uh, like, it's one of those curious 80s films, and the 80s seem to do this in particular, where you really don't know who the target audience was. Yeah. Which is somewhat of the charm of early Burton films, I think, that they're very odd. Yeah. But also tonally, it does, it's slightly queasy. There are some weird mismatches mm. in the tone of it. Um, like, you know, is Beetlejuice meant to be just a kind of zany villain, or is he meant to be genuinely, you know, a figure of horror? It's quite hard to tell. Yeah. Um, I guess I consider it kids' horror because I probably watched it as a kid, or it's the kind of film I remember being around when I was a kid, or certainly Burton generally, mm-hmm. I associate with my younger teenage years and people liking Burton. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I think I watched it as a teenager. What are your childhood or, or teenage um, memories of Burton? Um, I think mostly me being contrary and not not being into Burton because I didn't want to, because <laughs> it seemed like there were lots of sort of teenage goths who were really into it, and I was just being like, oh no, that's, I'm not like that. So, um, yeah, just being contrary, really. Um, I'm sure I, I did, I did watch Beetlejuice and I did watch Nightmare Before Christmas, but I was, not much of a enthusiast, I guess. See, I, I really like Nightmare Before Christmas as a little kid, but definitely pre-teenage, like not that long after it came out, I think. Um, so I remember going around to a friend's house who lived at the other end of the village, and he had it on video, and we watched it. And I really liked it up till um, the Oogie Boogie's Lair. I couldn't cope with when Oogie Boogie, who for those, for the... The minimal amount of listeners who haven't ever seen Nightmare Before Christmas um, 
is basically a kind of sackcloth ghoul. So uh, he's uh, quite quite a sort of big figure, and he's made up of bugs, basically. So he's a sort of assemblance of bugs with a, a white cloth thrown over him. And uh, at the end of the film, he's unraveled. So um, Jack or Sally gets part of his thread and sort of unstitches him and he falls to pieces and he goes my bugs and as he falls apart <laughs> his voice splits into the the uh, increasingly high-pitched and diminishing voices of the assemblance of bugs as they scatter <laughs> so my bugs my bugs my bugs my bugs um i found that incredibly disturbing and i, I still think it is very disturbing mm. because where is his consciousness situated you don't know <laughs> like i guess he's just meant to be a hive mind or something yeah um it's similar to in Coraline, isn't it the um the man upstairs who's made of rats Oh, yes, the other Mr. Babinski. Yeah, and Caroline says, like, oh, you don't understand. Uh, you're not even... Yeah, you're just a copy she made of the real Mr. Babinski. And he says, <laughs> not even that anymore. And then sort of falls apart into rats. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I wonder if that's more of a Henry Selleck thing than a Tim Burton thing, maybe. Shall I, shall I give a little summary of Beetlejuice? Uh, yeah, I think it can be a little summary. <laughs> Um, so uh, Adam and Barbara are a young married couple who die at the beginning of the film and find themselves as ghosts uh, confined to the boundaries of their house with only a handbook of the recently deceased for guidance Uh, when a new family moves in and they find their home being transformed by the obnoxious Delia they decide to get the Dietzes out by any means possible um, the bureaucracy of the afterlife is no help, and their attempts at haunting only succeed in getting the interest of the teenage daughter, Lydia, and her sympathy. Um, so instead they turn to a seedy-looking rogue bioexorcist called Beetlejuice, who claims he can get the new inhabitants out for good. And that's my sort of... <laughs> uh, unspoilery summary. <laughs> well, I guess the spoiler is, and things go awry. And, th- and things go wrong, yes. <laughs> um, so, so what did you like about Beetlejuice? Okay, I really, I enjoyed all the playing with scale, the kind of borrowers type things. Um, because uh, uh, the character Adam has a scale model of the town that he keeps in the attic. Um, and uh, when they summon Beetlejuice, um, he's inhabiting this model and um the the maitlands um have to go into it and uh, dig him out of his grave um but they're sort of digging through the kind of squares of plastic astroturf and cork and oh that that was totally that was the best bit absolutely it was actually really great wasn't it that was really satisfying just like the the, the layers of different textures <laughs> <laughs> it just had a lovely the layers of, of, of plastic and cork and, and the base of the model was mm-hmm. just digging into that. Yeah, yeah. That was um that was really good. Oh that was that was great. That was definitely my favorite. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you agree. Um <laughs> I'm glad you're on the side of that. That that those textures just um I was like, oh screw the rest of the spectacle. This is what I'm <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Um 
Yeah, I've written, ooh, they're, they're digging through the packing material. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. So I like the fact that neither of us have that much to say about Beetlejuice, but both of us <laughs> consider that. A highlight, really absolute top-notch <laughs> stuff there. Um. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad we're off on the same wavelength because this is the kind of stuff I say to my students and they're just like completely bewildered. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you on about? <laughs> no, I mean, that was, um, yeah. No, that was good. Um, <laughs> I, quite, I quite like some of the aesthetic. Like, it's got this sort of odd, I guess it's meant to be this sort of 50s Americana tat, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Like, I suppose it's similar to what Paranorman does, but I think... I like it a bit more aesthetically than Paranorman because it looks even ropier. Like, Paranorman's pretty slick, whereas this looks kind of run down in a way that's kind of nice, I guess. Hmm. Um, I I liked the uh, the very Schwankmeyer-esque bit where they stretch out their faces. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with the eyeball fun. The, the yeah. Eye, eyeballs um, and their fingers. <laughs> yeah, they... Um, uh, they're trying to to look scary. Um, it's another of one of their attempts to look scary because they have several failed haunting attempts, and then they uh, they just sort of stick their fingers into their faces and, and stretch them out and distort them and have their eyeballs and their fingers and things. Um, yeah, I and that that seems to be something that people remember. Because um, I told my brother about that and. And Mackie, and they both remembered that part particularly. Yeah. I didn't know. No, um, I, I vaguely did. I think it's. Uh, I remembered the uh, the stop motion sandworms, which is particularly mm-hmm. the jerkly stop motion animation. I've seen Beetlejuice in a cinema, and those scenes were particularly enjoyable on the big screen, just because they look kind of so DIY and homebrew, and there's something <laughs> kind of likable about those being in you know a fairly mainstream film. Yes, they, uh, I wrote down that they look like a kind of slightly gory hand puppet. Just yeah. The way, um, and then also that there's a definite resemblance to um, a monster that turns up in uh, Vincent, like the short from um, Tim Burton's short from 1982, I think. Yeah. Is you... defi- sorry. Yeah, sorry. There's definitely a um, a continuing aesthetic of Burton monsters <laughs> he definitely likes doing that like the uh, I don't know if you remember the duck with the razor sharp teeth on wheels mm-hmm. yeah in Nightmare Before Christmas that crops up in his um, Hansel and Gretel adaptation which was another kind of early short thing that he did yeah I guess just after he was a student um, for Disney and that uh, is what lures Hansel and Gretel into the woods mm-hmm so yeah, he definitely likes reusing his little art objects, basically, which is something he shares with Schrankmeyer. Like you know, if mm. you watch a lot of Jan Schrankmeyer, who's a stop motion animator, we both really like. Um, <laughs> and if you watch enough of his stuff, you'll see objects crop up again and again, or given little cameos in his different films. And it almost feels like a well, it means it, it's part of their kind of private universe, and it is nice mm. as a fan, I guess, because. It means to see you have that kind of shared language of objects on screen. Mm. Um, what would you say the scariest part of the film was? Well, it's odd because the first half, 
I mean, I think there were quite a lot of problems from a kind of screenplay perspective for the first half, at least. Mm-hmm. For one thing, the like it really stretches out the idea that the ghosts aren't able to scare off this new family. And I just feel like, why don't they start throwing objects around? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I kind of feel <laughs> like it wouldn't be but, that hard to do something scary as a ghost, really. Yeah, they did seem, um, yeah, uh, quite at a loss. Um, yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm more mean-spirited than those nice characters, I don't know. I was like, yeah, well, I could scare off people if I had ghost powers pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first half, a lot of the humour, I guess, comes through bathos, I suppose, or sort of undermining the horror. So you have this kind of, you know, potentially shocking images, which are then immediately undermined by characters being very underwhelmed by them. Mm. Um, and I guess that's part of what Burton likes to do, sort of situating horror as being part of the everyday suburban world, and that the real yes. horror is a kind of adult complacency and um, responsibilities, and actually the ghoulish horrors uh, are kind of treated in quite a sort of down-to-earth, even banal sort of way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you definitely see that in um, Edward Scissorhands, which followed a few years after this. Yeah. Um, and Frankenweenie as well. Is a... Yeah, which also has that kind of DIY homebrew thing going on that starts with, um, like, a kid's fi- a film that the kid in the film has made, um, which seems very similar to the kind of films Burton made as a child. So if you look at his Wikipedia, quite charmingly, on his filmography, it lists the films he directed as a child as well. <laughs> like Attack yeah. of the 50-Foot Celery Monster. Yeah. <laughs> oh. um. Did did you ever did you ever make films as a kid? <laughs> um, I had a friend who um, who I sometimes made little films with. They weren't they weren't really anything that fun. They were <laughs> filing mostly a few Excel documents. Oh, it was kind of we, we sort of did this kind of spoof version of Blue Peter, where where she was always the presenters, and it was mostly an excuse for her to do a very bad Birmingham accent because we always did phone-ins, and okay. <laughs> and she always liked to do a really bad Birmingham accent accent for people on the phone-ins. What, what did you get to do? Um, I was. Uh, I don't know, I was kind of an extra. <laughs> I, I got to wear various wigs. Oh, that's I think. good. Yeah. Mm. I, I was, most of the films I made when I was young were just like, I was really fascinated by the elementals of stop motion that, you know, you could have something in front of the camera, turn off the camera and take it out of shot and then turn the camera back on and it would look like it just disappeared. So most of the films I made, or a lot of the films I made as a kid, are basically me being like, I'm the amazing magician, and I'll make this disappear, and then something disappears. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to think I'm united in that with, you know, the early cinema pioneers. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, um, 
a James Bond spoof too. I just want to say uh, yes. called the disappearing bomb. Wait, I have seen. I've seen that. Actually. I'm all, I'm awful. <laughs> that like, I forced my friends and acquaintances <laughs> to watch my childhood videos. <laughs> <laughs> Probably on a first date as well, you know, like... <laughs> mm. uh, I, I did... Um, for documentary, I did bring in some of my own videos to my students and ask them if they could, like, make a film out of them. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Let let let's let's get off my narcissism. <laughs> um, I was asking you about scary things in oh, Beetlejuice. Oh, um, I don't know. None of it's really scary. Just Beetlejuice is really creepy and off-putting. Obviously, but I don't know if that's exactly scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd be um, scared if I was, you know near him in real life I guess <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's very lechy and horrible yeah I mean um, he does make your skin crawl which I guess is what it's going for mm. like I don't I'm glad there wasn't actually all that much of him in the film yeah yeah there isn't and it's probably I mean you know Michael Keaton gives a pretty committed zany performance but mm. you know yeah I, I was I'm glad that there was very little that of Beetlejuice in Beetlejuice. In many ways, the film shouldn't be named after him, to be honest. <laughs> it should be yeah. called The Useless Ghosts. <laughs> or The Ghosts Who Are Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess the only real horror for me came from the horror of being deprived of the eternal peace of death. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I would be pretty put out if I thought I died and then, oh, okay, and I have to stick around for hundreds of years in the house. Like... No, it's only 125 years. God, yeah, and then, and then what? And then they go to some other... And then they have to go to a waiting room. Some other... I was like, oh, God, just let them die, please. Like, I find it quite funny that the whole... You know, they're, they're, they're brought back in a sort of... The, the ghosts are kind of summoned near the end in a seance and then they, they start shriveling up and becoming desiccated corpses. And the idea is they're sort of dying within their death or something. Mm. And I kind of felt like, just let it happen. Come on, give them a break. No, no. But I think, I think if, if that happens and they go to the Lost Souls room... Oh, oh, good point. And that's just like um, being conscious but floating in a void or something. Sort of, yeah, drifting, formless and empty in a void forever. Um, and oh. I think that's what's going to happen to them if oh. they keep keep being <laughs> keep being exercised where's the void about consciousness come on <laughs> like, it's pretty much the only thing that keeps me going I think oh well you know at the end of it you know it's just like a nice long sleep you don't even have to get up in the morning great <laughs> yeah I mean I mean it's pretty horrible I I mean there's some real horror in the people who have to be the civil servants in the afterlife yeah that's and that they all seem quite sort of, I guess the idea is like real life civil servants. They all seem quite jaded and bored with their <laughs> jobs, right? Yeah. 
Um, I quite like the uh, the costume of the the guy who's been run over. Who's like Flat Stanley. <gasps> That's terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was pretty gruesome. It's very grisly. Yeah, um, but but good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. Like, Burton is rarely actually scary because he's quite gleeful about all the kind of ghoulish horribleness. And mm. it's just sort of done in the sort of spirit of, oh, oh, oh. you know, like it's just sort of <laughs> reveling in uh, ghoulishness and slight morbid unpleasantness. <laughs> yeah. Like. Um, it took me a while to notice that um, uh, the caseworker in the afterwork, in the afterlife, Juno, um, had her throat slit. Um Oh, it's it's quite subtle. Yeah, I I wasn't sure if it was. I thought it was a uh, tracheotomy. Well, oh, okay. I, I thought the idea was because she exhales her smoke through that hole. Oh. So I was assuming that the uh, joke, if you will, <laughs> was that <laughs> was that she died of throat cancer from smoking, but she was still oh. smoking even so in the afterlife. Oh, okay. Um, I think maybe I, I might be wrong, but that that was mm. that was generally. <laughs> 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 it does have yes. a few bits like that where mm. you're sort of like not sure if it's sort of going for a joke or not, and yeah, there are moments which are just a bit. I don't not even troubling, like disquieting, maybe, or just a bit like. Uh, like, but then it's a 15 rated film you know as you say it's not mm. really a kids film but then I can't imagine that many you know proper adults <laughs> <laughs> sitting down or going to the cinema to watch it I don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah like did you have any thoughts about the kind of tone of it I mean, we can get into things that troubled us about the film. Um, I, yeah, I thought it was kind of, I mean, it makes sense, like, hearing, um, like, reading a bit about it and hearing that the original script was a lot darker and then it got sort of lightened up, <laughs> um, because, uh, it does seem like it, yeah, like that th it could have been a lot darker, but it's sort of deliberately keeping it quite light. Um, yeah, so originally Beetlejuice has kind of more predatory designs on Winona Ryder's character. Mm. So in the film, he does marry her, and this is definitely presented as troubling, but it's shown for expedient reasons that he just wants to do that so he can get some kind of death of Fiza or something like that yeah um, whereas his interest seemed to be far more kind of purient and disturbing in, mm -hmm. the, in the original uh, screenplay apparently um, so I'm glad I'm glad they got rid of that <laughs> yes <laughs> um, and I think especially as I think for most teenagers um, Winona Ryder's character would be the point, the obvious point of identification. Yeah. Um, like, you know, she's the. Wow, a goth, basically, is her character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um. Tim Burton's quite good at writing that kind of character. You know, you, you, you get the sense that Burton knew what it was like as a kid not to fit in or to feel kind of different from others. 
Um, so that that stuff in his films always feels fairly convincing to me. Mm-mm. And she's quite like a sort of older female version of Vincent. Yeah, um, I suppose from, she from the is. short. Um, which uh, Vincent is. Um, it's like a very short film. Um, it's like a kind of a poem. Um, yeah, it's animation. A, a student film, I think. Is it? Yeah. Ah. Um, he's a boy who uh, wants to be Vincent Price and has various gothic affectations and his his uh, various adults in his life sort of deflate that and say, oh, you're just like, that you're just a little boy. And, uh, also in, in Beetlejuice, um, uh, Barbara says to Winona Ryder's character, oh, you look like a regular girl to me after she's gone on kind of one of her um, sort of gothic, uh, morbid um, tangents. Yeah, she uh, she writes a kind of. I don't. It it's suggested that it's a suicide note. I think um, mm. at one point, or sort of at least dark poem. Um, and Winona Ryder has very scrabbly handwriting. I don't. I don't know if they, <laughs> she was directed to make her handwriting more goth. Or if that's that actually <laughs> teenage Renona Ryder's real hand. <laughs> it was quite nice watching just as having watched Stranger Things, I guess, uh, this, mm. uh, last year, um, to see a young Renona Ryder because she, yeah, she's there's something slightly like cartoon-like about her. She's, you know, very mm. an, her. She's got these very animated sort of darting eyes, and mm. and she's so little. I forgot. How small she is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But I mean, I think she did. She did better work in in Heather's and <laughs> um, and Edward's hands. But you know, I think as as a t- teenage actor, she she's you know very likable in this. Yeah. Yeah. So I've written as a note. Hmm. Haunted by the absence of people of colour. Um, <laughs> which is my, my, yeah, that, that, that's my very academic lit theorist way of putting it, I guess. Uh, yes. So, um, originally Beetlejuice was going to be played by Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, coupled with this predatory aspect that was originally in the script... You do wonder, yeah, if it's sort of exploiting these, well, I say 1980s fears, but obviously rooted in Jim Crow laws, basically, uh, of the black male super predator, basically. Mm. Um, And I'm I'm very glad that's written out of the script, obviously, um, but somehow it's faintly still there, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're we're two white people, so I can't speak ex- expertly about this, but it does feel like there's lingering stuff there that is uncomfortable. Yeah, there's um, uh, in the waiting room, there's a a witch doctor character who um shrinks people's heads, um. And well, they, the uh, famous scene is they all sing a song by Harry Belafonte. 
Yes, they do, yeah. It's quite odd. I, I mean, I guess the root idea is, not that this makes it defensible, I suppose thematically the idea is that these are kind of white suburban yuppies, right? And mm. that they, they've kept out obviously really sort of inauthentic, right? Really tasteless. And mm. I think maybe what it's trying to do is that sort of Beetlejuice is originally the sort of site of racial anxiety, right? Um, and then he sort of is changed in the revised script to being more about class anxiety, mm -hmm. I'd say. That it's more like, you know, he's the sort of uncouth southern hillbilly stereotype, basically. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, a lot of Burton's films, I guess, are about white suburbia and its contamination fears. And so you could, you could at a stretch, say, oh, it's trying to be subversive. But I guess it kind of feels like it's faintly there, but not enough is done with it in any kind of interrogative way. It's just there and no. it's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, I don't I don't think it really feels like it's particularly being challenged or not really. In any very thorough way. <laughs> it feels a bit odd to use I mean Harry Belafonde's music is fun, but um mm. I guess to use it just as this source of fun it, I don't know, I feel it kind of really depoliticizes Belafonte, who's obviously a very politically radical figure, and uh -huh. using him in a kind of mainstream Hollywood film just for a kind of set piece. I don't know. Uh, mm. I'd say it might, it might be that, you know, Burton has in more recent years been called out for the kind of pervasive whiteness of his films. Yeah, I... I imagine so. And this one is uh, 1988, so it is a while ago now. Um, uh, I don't know if he's changed. <laughs> I haven't really watched many Burton films in recent years, well, to be honest. It'll be very interesting. Well, I say, I say interesting, I think, for, for some people who are less privileged, it's probably not going to be interesting. It's going to be upsetting and infuriating, potentially, to see what he does with Dumbo. Because oh, he's doing the live okay. action, he, yeah, he's doing the live action remake of Dumbo, um, yeah, and obviously uh, Dumbo has, as most Disney early Disney films do, certainly uh, a lot of racist elements. Yeah. So yeah, um, he's going to have to tread lightly, frankly. Um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, he'll be able to, and you know, create something good. But. We'll see. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about Frank and Weenie a bit? Uh, yeah, I mean... I mostly want to talk about it because it has Shelley Duvall in it. Hey, you just really love Shelley Duvall. <laughs> I do. Oh, I didn't know she was in it. And then I was so happy. Um, yeah, I didn't know she was in it. And then um, and then she turned up and I squealed with delight. <laughs> did did, you, did you literally bit. squeal with delight? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Most of my notes are just doodles of Shelley Duvall's face, um, some of them with hearts. Oh. Them. <laughs> oh, you have to stand there. I want to see you. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, lovely Shelley Duvall. Um. <laughs> uh, 
Did, did you want to say any more on that, or is that? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I probably probably my shining rant isn't really relevant. Uh, <laughs> not, not not strictly. I mean, basically, um... <laughs> I hate the shining because it's really mean to Shelley Duvall, and she looks upset for the whole film. And and was I think. And and also now we learn yeah also had a horrible time filming it, um, and I think that the way it's filmed sort of makes it seems like it sides with the abuser and it feel felt really horrible and 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 wrong yeah, to me. Yeah, I think I think that's a really fair critique of Kubrick. I mean, it you know the, I do think. I guess thematically, his stuff's about the allure of power, but you do feel like there's a lot of the giving the audience vicarious pleasure through occupying the perspective of abusive, sadistic men. Like, the same yeah. thing totally happens in Clockwork Orange, um, uh-huh. which I really dislike. Like, I, I, I like Bits of the Shining because it's got some fun set pieces and, you know... It's got cool tracking shots, so you know there's, there's part of me that, like, but but Clockwork Orange, I find totally intolerable. I really hate that film because it just feels really nasty. And yeah, I think that he kind of his films sort of they feel very anti-human to me. <laughs> um, yeah, mm-hmm. they, they they kind of and yeah, you could say that's that's what he's doing, but yeah. Um, yeah. It does, you know, like so. I, I've known so many guys who say that Kubrick's their favourite director, and yeah, it do, it does trouble me a bit. <laughs> yeah, um, I wondered if um, you know, because in um, Beetlejuice, uh, the Maitlands drown because, uh, well, they 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 veer off the bridge because they're trying not to hit a dog. And then they're sort of teetering on the edge um, of falling into the into the river, and the dogs on the other end of the seesaw, and then casually hops off, and they fall into the river and drown. Um, I wondered if that was the sort of balancing because a dog gets killed in Beetlejuice. So, so do you th- you feel that the dog was taking revenge in a sense? Yes, not the same dog, but okay. Dogs. The, the dogs were trying to write the filmic balance. Although, of yes. course, you know, as revenge often goes, it goes too far, right? The dog, the murder dog, kills kills two humans, <laughs> whereas only one dog. I mean, I guess you yeah. could say that Sparky and Frank and Winnie is killed twice, in a sense. Um, mm. Yeah. But you know how how many how many people have to die to make up for all dog all good dogs go to heaven. Actually, it's all dogs go to heaven. Um, I think I stipulated good dogs because I don't really like dogs. (laughs) (laughs) I can recognise Frank Weenie's quite a charming little film, but not... I don't like dogs. (laughs) God, I I probably should have said, God, I've just lost, like, half our subscribers at this point. (laughs) I like cats. No, oh, I don't really I like, like dogs cats either. Oh god! Oh. You like the cats, internet people, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, oh, there were shrimp hands. Shrimp hands. Um, that was good. Yeah, shrimp yeah, hands. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, like the shrimp hands. And right. Oh, and the the dead teenage footballers were pretty cute. <laughs> yeah. There's some kind of ditzy footballers who don't seem to understand they're dead, and they randomly appear at the end to dance alongside Winona Ryder's character <laughs> no reason whatsoever um, uh, there was a there was a really horrible spider at the beginning it was much too big well he does the, the, um, Alec Baldwin picks yeah, it up he, in his hands he, he said, and I was not he says happy it's about big, that though. he does say oh you're you're big or something to it yeah I mean, uh, were, were, were you you're not happy about it from a kind of workers' rights, labour union perspective? <laughs> yeah, like... Actors' <laughs> union in this. I'm not happy that he had to, um, had to pick up a spider with his bare hands <laughs> that was that large. <laughs> And he, he apparently he's very unhappy with his performance in this oh, film. Really? But um apparently yeah, apparently he's not keen, but maybe it's because he was just so put off by having to to touch such a horrible spider. Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe he just kept thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> um you know the dog in Frank and Weenie's called Sparky? Yes, yeah. Is that is that where dog like Sparky comes from? Hmm. It's a good question, but I don't think it is. I think I swear that I've read something else. So, I mean, we're getting into obscure references again. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, we could put a link to "Dog Like Sparky" because people yeah, it's it's it. a song by um, a band called the Cardiacs that um, me and Adam are very very keen on. Yeah, they're worthy of laudation. They are worthy of laudation. Um. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's so much more to say, because Burton... I mean, I guess some of those later films, teenagers would watch them, but they're not quite within the remit of kids' horror. Like, Sleepy Hollow films, mm. like, it's more geared towards adults, mm -hmm. I'd say. Um, Edward Scissorhands, again... Um, I mean, Edward Scissorhands is. I don't know. Is it? Again, it's. It's. I mean, I wouldn't be unhappy about children watching Edward Sands. I suppose. Hmm. Um. It gets the 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 death. The main antagonist is surprisingly kind of violent. I remember. Hmm. Um. But I think on rewatching Beetlejuice, I prefer Edward Scissorhands. Hmm. Which is a bit more kind of heartfelt and sweet and has a bit more of a plot basically um, <laughs> mm -hmm. and this is unusual you know I like films where just stuff happens but Beetlejuice does feel a little bit scattered to me mm -hmm. um, that really it's the set design that's gelling it together um, I mean it's that it's that digging scene with the with the astroturf and the and the cork and the yeah, I mean, oh I mean, yeah, I mean that—that's that is the heart of the film. To be honest, that could be a short film, and <laughs> you know, I, I'd probably give it like ten out of ten stars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
gut. It's a hot take. Yeah. I'll make, I'll make a BuzzFeed list. Um. The 25 reasons why the AstroTurf digging scene is the best sequence in 80s cinema. <laughs> You'll be shocked when you find out why. Just the textures. Oh, they're so good. So good. I just, the list will just be textures, textures, oh, textures. Textures. In increasingly large fonts. <laughs> good. Good. So, um, so um, we're back onto more regular kids horror fair with William Sleater. Yes, and I mean my my copy of Interstellar Pig has arrived, and I'll, I'll talk about the cover obviously in the next episode. <laughs> but it is wonderful. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, get ready, folks, because this is a largely forgotten book about uh, an evil alien board game. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, do you have a sign-off? Um, I, I don't have a sign Just don't be like Beetlejuice. That's my sign-off. Yeah. Keep it spooky, but don't be creepy. Nice. Yeah. All right. Um, our intro music's by Maki Yamazaki. Our outro music's by Joe Kelly. Our artwork's by Letty Wilson. And I'll put all of that info in the show notes, uh, along with the transcript. See you next time. Bye.